Hello everyone and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot. I'm Matt Risby. Good evening. And joining me as always via the miracle of satellite technology, God made him simple, science made him a god. It's Ed Davis. How the devil are you, sir? I'm very well. I'm going to guess that that is the tagline for The Nutty Professor. Oh, if only it was. (laughs) It is uh, The Lawnmower Man. Oh, wow. Surely the greatest science fiction film of the last 50 years, if not ever. I think it's the one that has the best grasp on how computing works. Mm, It's a thinking man's virtuosity. (laughs) Uh, Full quote for you. Yeah. Stephen King. Yeah. (laughs) Suck it. We have got an action-packed episode uh, this week, but we're going to start with talking about the continuing and frankly absurd box office performance of the film Deadpool. And to remind listeners, uh, Deadpool is the film I said had the potential and I was nay uncertain would be a box office disaster. Yeah, this is your serialised mea culpa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's done incredibly well. Again, it was number one at the week, uh, at the box office, and it's currently heading towards 300 million in the US, probably somewhere in the range of 700 million worldwide, and it has a chance at toppling The Passion of the Christ for the highest R-rated film ever, which uh, is, currently holds the record at 370 million, although... I thought it was interesting because I, I decided to see what historically would be the highest rated R rated movie based on inflation. And obviously that's an imperfect science, but uh, it would have to earn about 900 million to top The Exorcist. Mm. And I mean, The Exorcist has the advantage of being released several times um, yeah. over a long period. I mean, it did get a kind of 20th, 30th anniversary re-releases. But given Deadpool's performance, has given the fact that it's not been released in China, and plus it's a 2D-only movie, those numbers are just bananas. Yeah, and, and also, again, the character of Deadpool was not really the most well-known. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously he was popular with comic fans, and I think he was there was obviously a pent-up demand for the character because he'd been talked up for a long time as a possible possibility, but... I don't think many people anticipated that when the film came out, it would be on track to gross more, even adjusting for inflation, than any of like the X Men films, mm. who were which were the the Fox's kind of flagship superhero franchise for more than a decade, and which are the ones that I think everyone's <laughs> and which you know he is kind of a a spin off character from at least in the films. So for it to do that well, it is crazy and perhaps un- unanticipated mm. and now we're now going to see kind of uh studios knee-jerking their way into everything being r-rated uh, everything starring ryan reynolds well they've already said that the fox are looking into making the final wolverine film r-rated which i think kind of makes sense because obviously that character is you know he's got knives for hands of course there's an opportunity <laughs> for for violence there and i think a lot of the Attempts that people have made, such as that Darren Aronofsky version that was talked up for a while, you know, those ones that people said they didn't get made because they would have been too violent. But it kind of feels like the character's already been overplayed by this point. So I'm not sure if adding more blood and swear words would really improve it, even if it would perhaps be 
closer in tone to what the comic the characters solo comic outings have been mm, yeah and i mean at this point i mean i'm not a x-men or wolverine aficionado but i'm pretty sure he has been shot in the head a couple of times in the the, the x-men and wolverine films um mm-hmm. I, I can't really get much more violent than that can it yeah that and also he has like run people through with his with his blades mm. which is like pretty intense obviously they haven't gone into like excruciating deal detail with it and they keep the blood to a minimum because that you can get away with having a character literally ram six blades through someone's chest as long as there isn't that much blood mm. but yeah it, it doesn't seem like those films always seemed like they were cutting the they were kind of pushing the edge of what a pg-13 could be but also i think feel like those films that were often particularly the first one was so shoddily edited because they were clearly trying to cut around the violence Mm -hmm. that an r-rated one is probably would be truer to what they would want the character to be because it seems like they've always been shooting an r-rated wolverine film and then just trying to cut it down to pg-13 as opposed to trying to figure out what a pg-13 version of again a guy who has mercilessly killed hundreds of people uh what a pg-13 version of that character would actually be Mm, yeah well let's just see if uh studios will make a wholesale attempt to see a nation of geeks kind of bloodless (laughs) because they clearly (laughs) want things more violent and more self-referential and with more potty language it certainly opens the door for adaptations of those sexually explicit Alan Moore sub pornographic comics that he's been putting out over the last couple of years. Mm, sure, why not? Just throw more into the mix. <laughs> Let's have R rated everything. Well, Hotel Transylvania three, and the <laughs> uh, the R rated version. Yeah, I'm all for it. Something I'm not for, uh, which is a little bit of uh, news that came out this week, is Disney forever the paragons of virtue when it comes to kind of retaining the artistic integrity of their uh, licenses. They're going to sequelize Mary Poppins, uh, which comes as a surprise to no one, with uh, Emily Blunt in the title role. Yeah, what's that What's that all about, Ed? Well, I think it seems like something they've been wanting to try to do for a while, because obviously it's an iconic character and there are a lot of Mary Poppins books that they could work from. And so there's material there. And Disney, over the last couple of years, have kind of made a lot of money from turning animated films into live action sequels or again dipping into the mary poppins mythos with saving mr banks so that that kind of felt like it might have been a dry run for this to see what the anticipation was and that film did well enough so obviously i think that they're going through with it and i have to say if you're going to cast anyone as a mary poppins uh, i feel like emily blunt is a good choice Mm -hmm. but at the same time this does seem kind of uh, a little bit uh, desperate, and if you're, and 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 maybe not quite as strange as remaking Pete's Dragon, which again we got a motion poster for this uh, this week, and I think led to cries of what? Mm? Why is this happening all over the internet? But I think that it still feels a bit strange for them to be doing this fifty two years after the original came out. Mm. I've got a pitch for you to make the Mary Poppins sequel palatable. Obviously, she needs an everyman to play across from her. I'm thinking someone like Jason Bateman. Mm -hmm. And the tagline could be, watch out for the Poppins. (laughs) 
<laughs> which is, I mean, granted, listeners, I did just lay a lot of track for that joke, and you really must be familiar with at least three seasons of Arrested Development for that to work. But I think that's, I think that's a good idea. I definitely feel like if you want to, their relationship with Netflix, who have done a lot of production stuff with Disney through Marvel, I think if they want to get some real synergy, then I think going for a a Netflix property seems like the way to go, and particularly one that refers to the few bright spots, one of the few bright spots of season three of Arrested Development. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they can get Charlize Theron in there for a cameo. Well, she can do the accent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is more to be said of uh, Dick Van Dyke. Oh, which which actor do we want to see affecting a terrible Cockney accent? Don Cheadle. Don. <laughs> He's got previous. He does, he does have previous. Uh, I'm going to go for Channing Tatum. Mm, just yeah. because he's in everything these well, days. He can dance, so he's got fifty percent of the uh, of the, the the Van Dyke charm down. Yeah, uh, <laughs> playing London's most muscle bound chimney sweep. <laughs> yeah, because obviously it's going to be two thousand and whatever version, so it needs to have some kind of hip hop flavor. And I believe <laughs> Mr. Tatum can. He's got serious kind of hip hop chops. Well, if we can work uh, Genuine's Pony into a Mary Poppins <laughs> reboot, then fuck, dude. We need to write this down, because this is gold. Well, yeah, yeah that will play when they go on the merry-go-round in the animated world this time around. Mm, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, uh, watch out for the Poppins. Relive the magic, <laughs> Mike. <laughs> I mean, again, they're all just tagline. We're just spitballing, so none of these uh, should be considered concrete. But anyway... That's something to work with. But it, is, it does provide people with a baseline to measure the final product against. If their <laughs> ideas aren't as good as ours, then Disney should hire us to write their unnecessary sequels and live-action versions of animated classics. Mm, yeah, yeah. We, I mean, uh, we should be like Tom Lennon and his writing partner, who just kind of <laughs> shill themselves out writing kind of terrible family films, even though like they are both capable of so much more and better, but they must just be laughing all the way to the bank. That yep. could be us, listeners, uh, with your Let's get a Kickstarter going. I've got a treatment for a remake of Oliver and Company that's all live action and with the animals don't talk. <laughs> but it's Billy, just cat videos, and Billy Joel basically. plays the Fagin role. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, now man. That he looks. Now that he looks like dying Darth Vader. Yeah. What about a remake of the Aristocats, where it's just people telling the Aristocats <laughs> joke, <laughs> but it's cats telling the Aristocrats joke, and it's that will be R-rated. I, I warn you now, because that would be pretty disgusting. Yeah, I think we have to wait to see how Seth Rogen's Sausage Party R-rated. A animated film does but i think if that becomes a big hit then i think the green light is is just waiting around the corner mm, mm, absolutely we're going to be talking about the oscars this week and more specifically we're going to be kind of talking oscar predictions but whilst we're in the news realm which probably kind of touch on on the fact that the oscars has not content with courting enough controversy already with its lack of diversity they're really not helping themselves this week are they with their latest decision yeah, the decision that was announced this week is that of the five nominees for a Best Original Song, two of them will not be performed, the two being uh, Simple Song 3, which is from Youth and would have been sung by, I believe, a Korean pop star, and Manta Ray from uh, Racing Extinction, I believe is the name of the film, which was written and would have been performed by 
Anthony Hegarty, who, as uh, people who don't know, is the lead singer of a group called Anthony and the Johnsons, although it's kind of a amorphous art project rather than a band, and is the only the second uh, openly trans person to be ever nominated for an Oscar. So if she had been allowed to perform, it would have kind of been a big deal. And also, she does have a kind of incredible and strange and fun to imitate voice, as I have done on many occasions, which I think would have made for a kind of a scintillating moment of Oscar history. Uh, and won't happen because they say for time constraints, which, uh, considering how the Oscars are terrible at making sure that they run on time, seems like a bullshit answer. I think they could have found an extra 10 minutes to let the two songs be played. Mm. Yeah, that doesn't... Yeah, it's almost like their PR department is being run by some kind of dogs uh, <laughs> that have just been kind of let loose and kind of have no control over what's happening because they are literally throwing gasoline onto every fire they can. They can. Uh, they can. <laughs> or, or that they are. They have hired uh, Bialystok and Bloom to kind of run it. <laughs> yeah, so. they're trying to make sure that no matter what happens, Chris Rock will never host the Oscars again. Or this is going to be the last Oscars. It's just become too much of a hassle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's an absurd decision, and I mean, given that one of the songs nominated for an Oscar is the Sam Smith Bond song, which isn't even the best Bond song for that film, um, <laughs> is uh, I mean, yeah, we could have just snipped that down. I mean, that's yeah, I I I don't really understand what the the good people at the Academy are thinking, and it's Maybe. one of their most mistreated and maligned categories because yeah. over the years they have either not included in it or they've included like one performance because that was the person who was obviously going to win it such as when Adele sung Skyfall there which uh, kind of had to have to admit does kind of tip the hand a little bit it's like at the Grammys this week where they had the cast of Hamilton perform and then Hamilton won the best cast recording it's like the fact that the other kind of four nominees weren't there I think probably indicated <laughs> that it was heavily weighted in the favour of the people who performed on the show and had a whole camera crew ready to film their reaction. Mm. Um, but like it, they, it is something that also in the past has delivered like amazing moments, like when the cast of A Mighty Wind performed or when Elliot Smith performed for the song he wrote for Goodwill Hunting um, or Annie Lennox performed that song from the Lord of the Rings, which wasn't a great song, but you know, it was cool seeing her there performing it. So they're, they're, purposely removing opportunities for you know good interesting shareable moments by just cutting them down and saying oh these people aren't famous enough they, they aren't the weekend so we'll let the weekend perform but not anthony hegarty mm. and i mean given that last year's bright spot for diversity uh, was the performance of the song from selma mm. you think they might have kind of learned some kind of lesson although we all know that the greatest moment in best original song history was Robin Williams performing Blame Canada from South Park, the musical, which uh, to this day remains one of my favourite Oscar moments, one of the weirdest fucking things I've ever seen. Yeah, and, and the uh, something that has resulted in some of the best stories about people going to the Oscars because of uh, Parker and Stone admitting that they just dropped a shitload of acid before they decided to put on dresses and attend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but yeah. It's very apparent when you watch that red carpet footage of them being inter interviewed. Yeah, they are tripping balls, something I don't think that Sam Smith will be doing this year. But yeah, anyway, let's get into this year's Oscar predictions. We've kind of resisted doing this in the past uh, on any grand scale, but we feel like we must... 
this year, the overriding thing that I thought, uh, before we get into the individual categories, when looking at the nominations this year, was given how good the previous 12 months have been for film, that's not really reflected by the nominations because there are some weak-ass choices in this list. Yeah, I think that is something that's probably true most years because you end up with kind of the, the most bland stuff ends up being chosen uh, or if stuff that is interesting gets nominated, it just kind of gets resigned. Like like last year with Selma, which was a, a film that had, which tackled, you know, kind of biographical subject matter and history in a way that felt very visible, visceral and real was, you know, given a best picture and best song and that was it. Mm. You know, the the, the inter- interesting stuff tends to get ignored, uh, and that's very much the case this year as well. Um, but I think that it, it's kind of been thrown into into a, a stark relief when you look at like the best actor category, which is, you know, that that category in recent years has been incredibly weak and bland anyway. Mm-hmm. But like this year in particular, you look at it and you think there is like there is not one performance there that I would point to and say, yeah, that's really good. Like, or that you would want to see on a highlight reel. Yeah, and yeah, they're all kind of fairly safe or obvious choices, and none of them particularly reflect a performance of any particular exciting energy or dynamism, which is kind of really depressing. I mean, we like you say, it's a it's a criticism that's level at the Oscars every year, but this year, I think perhaps by the the just the sheer strength of stuff that was excluded it kind of perhaps is brought into sharper focus. Where should we begin with our predictions, Ed? Uh, shall we go blaze through the technical categories and then, you know, work our way towards kind of the, the most uh, notable ones? Mm, let's do it. Let's get the uh, the geek shit out of the way first uh, and then talk about the things that people will actually remember. What have we got first up, Ed? Let's go for the short live action, which I don't really know anything about. So I'm going to predict that it will be day one, just because I like that kind of authoritative title. I'm going to pick Stutterer, because uh, I feel like people with speech impediments should be fairly represented on in film, and there's not really much going on this year uh, also, in that area. Also, I feel like there is high possibility for the person who announces the winner mispronouncing it. Yeah, or just, you know drop in some good kind of uh, uh, speech impediment banter when they really reveal the winner. Um, some wag like Seth Rogen or James Franco might do it, even if Stutterer doesn't win. But that's my favourite, and I'm, I'm putting my money on that pony. Okay. Uh, let's go on to short animated, which I do actually have some opinions on. Uh, I've For this, I've, I've broken it down into should and will. And I, sh- I think should win it should be Don Hertzfeld's World of Tomorrow, which is a fantastic, philosophical, beautifully animated, incredibly sad uh, uh, short film that is uh, available on Netflix. So everyone should watch it because it's really great. But I think probably what will win will be Sanjay's Super Team, mm. the Pixar animation that played before The Good Dinosaur. Mm. I mean, Sanjay's Super Team is pretty good. Mm. Um, it is. It is really good. Whether it's World of Tomorrow good is uh is is kind of something else i i think sanjay super team will take it Pixar and... do have a lot of uh they have a strong history of, of doing well in those categories and their short films tend to act as kind of breeding grounds for their later talent so if uh if um the, the director of sanjay super team gets to direct a feature as a result i think that'd be really good and interesting particularly if it's as 
kind of grounded in his own personal life as that short film was. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm going for. Okay, next we'll go for documentary short. I think Claude Landsman's Spectres of the Showa will win just because uh, I feel like Claude Landsman is someone who has done, you know, obviously he's the director of Showa and the various subsequent documentaries made up from the leftover footage of Showa because he shot an awful lot of stuff and I think has uh, stared into the absolute abyss of humanity for long enough that I think someone should recognise him for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, it would seem like that would be the obvious choice, but I'm going to pick Body Team 12 purely on the evocative title. This is a, really is, listeners, how I approach betting in the Grand National. Um, Do you think that that one is a really dark sequel to Short Term 12? Uh, yes, I do think. Uh, yeah, I think that could could be it. I've got no idea what it's about. Probably about something very serious, and I'll feel terrible when I find out. Uh, but that's yeah, I'm, I'm nailing my flag, my colours to the mast on that one. Yeah, I can't imagine that the documentary shorts are going to be all kind of light and frivolous because mm-hmm. the, the features very rarely are. So I don't know why they would uh, approach the shorts with anything less than kind of dead deadening seriousness. Okay, should we get the what about the uh, the feature length documentaries? Uh, my vote for should would be the look of silence because it's fantastic and amazing and every bit as good, if perhaps less kind of formally daring than the act of killing. But I think it, it offers the necessary kind of counterbalance to that film, and is between the two they they're they're great. And if if for no other reason, I think they should award it as. Recognition of the fact they fucked up by not giving the act of killing the best uh, documentary Oscar a few years ago, but I think probably what win will win will be Amy. Mm. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that Joshua Opp- Oppenheimer has been stiffed by a frothy uh, showbiz documentary. <laughs> so was it uh, Fifty Feet from Stardom that beat him out that, that last time? Yeah, Twenty was. Feet from Stardom. Twenty or oh, Fifty Feet is the sequel. Yep. Um, <laughs> About the key grip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna keep going and going and going, and then it's like about the uh, backing singers, aunties. Um, <laughs> I've got, I've got a feeling that Winter on Fire, the Ukraine fight for freedom film, is gonna win. So I'm saying that, even though Amy is a strong contender, um, it, I'm gonna go for Winter on Fire. Amy certainly feels like it'd be the populist choice because I think it's probably the most successful of all of them, and obviously has the kind of obviously it's about someone who was a, a huge public figure and the, the, the documentary is, you know, incredibly dark and sad about it. Mm-hmm. But um, the only thing that I think would stop Winter on Fire is the fact that it's a Netflix doc. And I feel like the Academy would go out of its way <laughs> to uh, avoid acknowledging that streaming is a thing that uh, happens and is slowly kind of distra- making them seem more and more irrelevant. But didn't Virunga win last year? Oh, did it? Uh, and that is, didn't that win the, uh, or was that, it, it was definitely nominated. And so was the square. Oh yeah, it was nominated, but it didn't win. I take it back. Um, so, yeah. So they so they will nod in its direction, but they're not going to, I feel like they won't actually kind of let it win. Yeah, they'll invite it to the table, but they won't let it eat. Mm-hmm, yep. Okay, what's uh, next? Next, I'll go for visual effects, which I think should and will be won by Mad Max Fury Road, who I predict will sweep the technical categories. Um, I'd love to see Ex Machina win mm. uh, Best Visual Effects. I mean, purely on the basis. Uh, I mean, we both loved Ex Machina. We thought it was a really good film. But the idea that a film with a budget kind of sub 30 million is up against all of those big hitters is amazing. I think that's a you know a great achievement. 
um, given that money does really talk uh, in those kind of situations. I personally think that they're going to give it to Star Wars. Uh, okay. I think Star Wars is going to win one award, and I think it's going to be that. That, I think, is the one that it has the most chance of. Or that, or maybe score, just because of a kind of sentimental thing for John Williams. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I feel like that's its best chance. My, I, I feel Ex Machina, what would kind of harm it, again, would be the fact that it's it's on a low budget, uh, but also because its effects are fairly subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like they help create a sense of reality with how the Alicia Vikander character looks but th- and kind of makes you not notice the fact that she doesn't have like a stomach or anything <laughs> and so that stuff is easy to kind of overlook and i feel that that subtlety uh ultimately hurts in the in the wake in the face of something like a star wars or a mad max fury road i feel like fury road might have the advantage because it's done a better job of shaping the narrative it's a mixture of physical and digital which mm-hmm. i think that star wars did to an extent but hasn't done quite so well do you think that Mad Max Fury Road will pick up best film editing as well? I think it has a very, very good chance. Okay, um, but I'm I'm not sure. Um, I'm I'm going to go for the Revenant uh, in best film editing purely because of the sheer amount of fucking ridiculous long takes that are <laughs> wedged into that film or fake long takes. Yeah, and I think I think it may have picked up that uh, uh, it. I think that uh, Birdman probably picked up editing last year as well. Mm-hmm. And if and if uh, Inaritu's film sweeps the major categories again this year, then it'll probably take editing on its way to a best a best director nod. But I, I think it will. I think it's going to be splitting some of its nominations with Mad Max Fury Road, and I could see editing going to to that one. Okay, what's next? Let's do sound mixing and sound editing at the same time. I think that they will probably both go to Mad Max Fury Road based purely on the basis of best equals most. Right, okay. I'm going to say that they're both... I think, all right, I'm going to separate it. Best sound mixing is going to go to Star Wars and best sound editing is going to go to The Martian. Okay. Right. Now, I mean, it takes a keen ear to detect the difference between sound mixing and sound editing, but I think it's something that I've got down. So I can, I, I think I've got a, a good chance of getting those both right. Okay, best music song. I think it should go to the to the song Manta Ray, the aforementioned song by Anthony Hegarty. I think it will go to Writing on the Wall. If it does, I'm gonna go fucking doolally because that is <laughs> that is terrible. I mean, Radiohead released their rejected version of the Spectre theme tune. And Radiohead have already done one of the best versions of a Bond theme tune. They did uh, The Spy Who Loved Me, then Nobody Does It Better, mm. years ago. And that's a fucking great version of that song. But, I mean, if it's if they tried to kind of come up with an award of who could write the most insipid Bond theme, then yes, this is by far and away kind of a winning entry. But Jesus Christ, that's a bad, bad, bad song. Yep, it is dull as shit. Yeah. And kind of fitting for the film. But I feel like the, the the awarding it to Skyfall set a precedent, and also I kind of feel like the film that's up against, like uh, Racing Extinction, is a documentary, so it's not really very high profile. Uh, the the song from Fifty Shades of Grey is, you know, it it has something of a kind of a hip edge to it because again it's the weekend and belly, but again I kind of don't feel like that'll be the, quite the Academy's scene. 
Yeah, I think it's it's got to be the Spectre song, just like, mm. you know, just by process of elimination. So yeah, I'll plump the, the, for that one. I although I would be delighted if the Lady Gaga song wins, just because the idea of Lady Gaga Oscar winner is insane. Mm. <laughs> what did she win for the other day when she bumped into Leonardo DiCaprio? Was that for American Horror Story? Yeah, that was a Golden Globe for Best Actress, I think. Yeah, is that does that make her a Tony away from that kind of uh, weird sweep of awards if she wins no, the Oscar? She would need to win an Emmy. I think oh. she's it's it's Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. Oh, okay, right. She's probably won a Grammy. Yeah, you, yeah, you think just, so? She she if she wins an Emmy for American Horror Story, then yeah, she'd be she'd be one away, one of the uh, less likely uh, contenders for an EGOT. Mm-hmm. Best original score. I think it's probably going to go to Ennio Morricone. Yeah, and I would say that out of all of those five scores, that is my favourite of them. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And probably the bright spot of uh, The Hateful Eight other than the cinematography. Yeah, I feel like it's one of its strongest areas. And uh, as long as Morricone himself delivers a speech and not Quentin Tarantino, I think it'd be a great moment. <laughs> yep, yep, absolutely. The chances of that happening are zilch. Because <laughs> Ennio Morricone can't speak English and is old as shit. So it's yes. going to be Tarantino going up there, just being a dick as usual, um, but, an insufferable, incredibly talented dick. Yeah, but it will give everyone who's watching a good kind of four or five minutes to go and you know make themselves a drink or mm. a sandwich or you know read a chapter of a book. You know, it, it, it'll be a good kind of point for everyone to go. Okay, yeah, I can go and do something else for a minute. Yeah, absolutely. What we we cool. We're moving into the exciting uh, territory now. We're we up to uh, best animated feature. Yeah, sure. There's a few more technical ones I've got here. Oh, sorry. Yeah, okay. We Go can back. run through them. Uh, makeup and hairstyling, costume design, production design. I feel like they are all probably going to go to Mad Max Fury Road again on the basis of there's a lot of them in there, and I think that all of those things kind of are important in constructing a world, and mm-hmm. I feel like. Mad Max Fury Road does a better job of creating an immersive world than, say, The Revenant. Although, if The Revenant like has a kind of a Titanic esque sweep, then it could easily pick all of them up. But I'm I'm not sure if there is that much kind of love for The Revenant across the board. Okay, I'm going Mad Max for makeup and costume. Mm-hmm. I'm going Revenant for production design. Cool. Uh, okay, and then uh, cinematography probably. Should go to uh, probably Mad Max again. I am in the tank for Mad Max, I must admit. But that, that film was beautifully shot. And again, the the look of it was a big part of making it so immersive and so fun. But I think it almost certainly will go to Emmanuel Lebeski for the third year on the trot. Mm, I'm, I wanted to go to Robert Richardson for The Hateful Eight. Uh, I really did enjoy the much vaunted 70 mil. That and could it, swing it. Yeah, I I think it was something of a throwback and something of... You know, it was a beautiful looking film. Uh, if it wasn't perhaps so beautiful on the inside, uh, that film. <laughs> but I would like to see oh, that's that's who I'd like to see win. Uh, but I think you're probably right. Emmanuel Lubetsky probably will win again. Yeah, for for being the most kind of the most showy cinematographer working today. Mm, I wonder whether there's uh, some kind of um, divide because uh, both The Revenant and Hateful Eight shot in extreme conditions. Uh, one shot digitally, one shot on film, one shot very elaborately in a in a in a cinematic way, one shot with only natural light. 
it'd be interesting to see where the where the kind of cookie crumbles on that one. Yeah, I think if it were a few years ago, I feel like like if this was two thousand and eleven, I feel like the Hateful Eight would win it in a walk because of the traditionalist, the fact that it's shot on it's it's shot on film, shot seventy millimeter, that it kind of uses real sets. But I feel since Life of Pi won for cinematography, the kind of uh, stigma against digital cinematography has pretty much been shattered and the fact that the last two wins the last three wins in fact now i think have all been shot digitally that probably means that the the uh, the dam has burst and it's probably going to be mostly digital digital going forward in the same way that uh you know at, at a certain point all of the winners were color films particularly once they got rid of the black and white cinematography category mm. i think uh slumdog millionaire won um, for... That was shot on like eight different formats. <laughs> yeah. So, but I think that was the first thing to win for cinematography that included digital. Yeah. Um, so that 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 opened the floodgates, and now it's it, phew, I don't even remember what film is anymore. <laughs> Foreign, I've got should win uh, Mustang, the French thing or Algerian film, which I think a lot of people have said is kind of a great wonderful coming-of-age film about young women. I think it will lose to Son of Saul, which is the kind of punishing film about the Holocaust, mm. because I'm... that's what the Academy does. Mm. I'm going to pick A War, the uh, Tobias Lindholm film, um, which uh, I read an interview with him today, and he seemed like a nice guy. <laughs> so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I, and I also like the fact his career has gone from a hijacking to a war and I'm I'm hopeful that that is how he continues his entire his entire filmography. A noun that is basically his <laughs> his titling convention. Animated would go for I think should win. Uh, should be Anomalisa because mm. I think that was a really stunning and interesting piece of work. I think that Charlie Kaufman and uh, Duke Johnson, I believe, is the other guy's name. I think they did an amazing job of using the form of stop motion animation to advance the story of this guy who's kind of racked by his own personal depression but also the story of a woman who he kind of becomes obsessed with uh but i think it probably will go to inside out but i will say that this is probably the strongest of any of the categories when you look at all the nominees mm, and a really great spread as well uh of, of, of styles of animation um, nice yeah, to see Shaun the Sheep. Yeah, yeah. Nice to see Shaun the Sheep movie in there because that is a charming and delightful film. Yeah, that one's great. There's a there's a Ghibli in there as well, uh, which is always nice. Probably the last one, mm-hmm. uh, maybe, which would be a sad thing to see. But yeah, there's a a a spread of different animation styles from different countries, and um, yeah, it's it's the one category where I look at it and say, yeah, I can't really fault anything included here. Uh, I'm gonna go for Inside Out as well. Uh, it's yeah. di- difficult to bet against Pixar um, in this category. They seem to have had it on lockdown whenever they've had a strong film in it. But yeah, I'll go for them. Okay, we'll go to adapted screenplay now. Uh, I think what should win would be uh, Room, which mm-hmm. took a very difficult idea uh, and a novel that is based on a conceit that it is being narrated by a child who knows nothing of the world and made it and and took that and externalized it and kept the kind of the tone and the uncertainty and the the terror of the novel but was able to kind of offer more glimpse into the psychology of the adult characters without losing the sight of the 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 young child but i think probably will win i'm gonna go for the big short 
Yeah, that's what I'm suspecting will win as well. I mean, it's a, a film that, for all its faults, does do a pretty decent job of making uh, a subject matter which can seem impenetrable and uh, quite unwieldy, um, palatable without being stupid, even though at one point Selena Gomez looks into the camera and explains something. Mm. And I feel like, like last year, I think it was it was notable that all the films nominated for Best Picture won something. Mm-hmm. They won at least one award, and I don't know if that's uh, that if that's how every um, every Oscar voted decided to go. But I feel like if that's going to happen this year, then adapted screenplay seems the most likely likely place for that to happen and also would be the thing that would amuse me the most the idea that adam mckay the director of anchorman the guy who shot will ferrell arguing with his like two-year-old daughter outside of his house (laughs) for a funny or die video uh, would be an oscar winner like the fact he's an oscar nominee is insane but if he won an oscar i think that would be that would be uh, amazing Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about the uh, original screenplay category? What are we looking at there? I would like Ex Machina to win. Yep. Because I think that is, again, that film is is essentially like a chamber piece. It's very smartly directed and very smartly written in to use, uh, using this limited space to build tension, and, and Alex Garland did a fantastic job of writing it. I feel like Inside Out probably has the advantage because it's so inventive and so clever in its use of 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 psychology and then anthropomorphizing it mm, i'm gonna say spotlight's gonna win okay um i feel like it's had enough wins in other award ceremonies to have a bit of heat behind it i would say that i the interesting nomination there is straight out of compton mm-hmm. because we talked about it before the the kind of the lack of diversity in the oscars to pick that film's screenplay uh, for two reasons is odd. One, uh, it's an all-white kind of crew of people who have written it. I say crew, there are four credited writers. Uh, or is it five? No, it's four. And the other thing is that the script is probably the weakest part of that film. Yeah, I think that film is carried uh, through a lot by the direction, by F. Gary Gray's direction and the, the spirit of the performers mm. to overcome what could be very kind of rote, almost like, you know... TV biopic level writing, you know, it, it's elevated by the presentation as opposed to the material, and I feel like it being nominated is, uh, I mean, it's good because it keeps Straight Outta Compton in the conversation, but it's bad because, yeah, like you say, it is the weakest part of that film to recognise. Mm, yeah, but yeah, Spotlight's my choice in that one. Are we up to some performances now? Yep, uh, we'll go for supporting actress, actress. I think for should it should be uh, Rooney Mara or Jennifer Jason Lee. I feel like the Rooney Mara one I'm torn on because really she should be in lead. Yep. Um, because that is a, a, a that is a two hander. There isn't really a supporting actress in that film, uh, and arguably it's more uh, Therese's story than it is Carol's. But um, yeah, I think it should go to either of those two. I get the feeling it will be Kate Winslet. Will win it. What, because she hasn't won one for a while, or...? Yeah, she hasn't won one in a few years, and also she has won it at a few major performances, uh, a few major ceremonies before then, and I feel like there isn't much support for the rest of the nominees 
uh, outside of those performances like the hateful eight doesn't really have a big showing there carol is only represented in the uh performers and i think the adapted screenplay uh so there isn't really alicia vikander for the danish girl is not going to happen i hope um <laughs> Because that was that of her performances of her twenty five performances last year, uh, that was her weakest. So I feel like Kate Winslet uh, has the name recognition and gave the kind of the showiest performance. Mm. I'm I'm in a similar camp. I really want Rooney Mara to win, uh, but also would be conflicted about it because it's a bullshit nomination. But I think Rachel McAdams will win, and I hope she in some way references Mean Girls in her acceptance <laughs> speech. Best supporting actor. I think this one should and will go to Sylvester Stallone. It's a fucking great performance, isn't it? It's a great performance. He did an amazing job in that film. I think he has uh, shown up and done the work for the first time in a very long time. And I think that uh, you should reward someone for the work they're doing as opposed to maybe their uh, lacklustre action movie career. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think seeing him return to that character and giving such a soulful performance is kind of a big thing. Um, I wouldn't be unhappy with mark rylance winning but i think that it would be just a wonderful capper to uh the story of rocky balboa and sylvester stallone if he won an oscar for the same character 40 years later uh even if uh, his story is no longer the central part of that of that um franchise mm. oh yeah i want to see it, uh, see him do it because it's like it's always refreshing to see someone who you are told is technically an actor on screen and when they actually act you're like oh fuck this guy's got some chops it's a real mickey rourke situation yeah this is a kind of uh ground up piece of meat literally in this case a situation like we had with like you say the wrestler um and i think it's an you know outstanding performance and and yeah if he doesn't win i'd be very surprised okay we'll go to actress now for me, I think it should and will be Brie Larson for Room. Uh, I saw that on Monday and I was really blown away. I think she did an amazing job with that part. I think that she is. She also has the kind of the sheen of being kind of a fresh face. She's only really been around for a couple of years. Uh, I think there was there's kind of a sense that she should, she should have been nominated for Short Term Twelve a couple of years ago and was ignored. And it kind of feels like this is perhaps her moment more than say. Kate Blanchett, who is someone who has won a few times and also is in a film that not doesn't seem to get that much love in general. Mm, yeah, we loved it, but uh, yeah. it seems to have you know fizzled out completely. Uh, given that we we thought that when we talked about this last week, we thought it would be uh, one of the Oscar frontrunners, but it seems to have uh, died a death in terms of the awards push. Uh, I think Brie Larson will win because she's won all the previous kind of run-up awards. I'd like to see Charlotte Rampling win and then make a kind of... Because, I mean, that's a great film, 45 Years. It was my favourite film, personally, of last year. I would like to see her win and then try and backtrack on some of the controversial uh, <laughs> comments she said and then sign off by saying white power. <laughs> Just because, I mean, how funny would that be? I mean, obviously it'd be awful, but Charlotte Rampling, White Power, those those two things I didn't think I'd see, and I don't think I will. <laughs> but uh, I, fuck it, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna bet on Rampling. Maybe you just want to see a kind of a an exact an extreme counterpoint to say Kendrick Lamar's performance at the Grammys. Mm, yeah, if you want to get someone on there and just be unapologetically white. Mm. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. If Beyonce has broken the ground for her with her Super Bowl halftime show, uh, Charlotte Rampling can uh, ramp things up. Uh, <laughs> pun intended. Okay, best actor and the uh, kind of five least exciting performances of last year. Yeah, uh, I I tweeted out just before we started recording this my notes, which just have the words "weak as fuck" next mm. to the, uh, the the actor title because it is uninspiring. Um, you know, there's some good actors in there. You've got Leonardo DiCaprio. You've got Michael Fassbender, Matt Damon. Um, who are the other two? Oh, Brian Cranston. Yeah, Brian Cranston, who I like a lot. Do not like him in Trumbo. And Eddie Redmayne, who is the world's biggest ham hmm. and who I do not like at all and do not like him in The Danish Girl, um, as anyone who's who's listened to this podcast over the last couple of months will know. Uh, I think, honestly, of those, Matt Damon's is probably my favourite because I feel like he was the only one who wasn't trying to win an Oscar. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's the only one who's giving kind of a natural, charismatic performance and the others are just trying so fucking much. Um but Leonardo DiCaprio is the one who's going to win, obviously. Uh, yeah, he will win. And uh, th- there was something like that's been bugging me. We've talked about it before about Leonardo DiCaprio's performance, and we've mocked it openly on the show before about the, the mm-hmm. last look to camera uh, with the oh, final God. shot of the film. But it reminded me of, and this is like, I mean, I hate Family Guy, but there is a joke in uh, in an episode of Family Guy, like a, a very old one. Um, where it's unsurprisingly a cut away from the main action and <laughs> it's about Tom Green and it just shows him uh, sucking the milk out of a cow's udder and he <laughs> turns and looks at the camera and says, do you guys like me yet? Or can, can I stop doing this now? And that's, that's I feel like I'm interpreting that from from that look into camera. Leonardo DiCaprio is just like, are you guys happy now? I've, <laughs> I've slept inside a horse. I have uh, put myself through this. Please award me and then I can actually stop trying and do something else. Yeah, I've seen it described as his Oscar first, mm. which I think is is the, just the perfect way of describing it. He is so... He has been so relentless in his pursuit of an Oscar for so long and I think he has deserved it in the past. I think he should have won for Wolf of Wall Street. He should have won for Catch Me If You Can. Mm-hmm. But... And, and those were like fun, exciting, interesting performances from him in fun, exciting and interesting films. And this, it just feels like he's trying so hard and you just want him to win an Oscar so that he will relax yeah, <laughs> and take it easy for a little while. Mm. And he can play a superhero or something. Yeah, exactly. You can finally sign up for, uh, I don't know, Aquaman or something. Mm. Playing the villain in Aquaman. For a big paycheck. Well, he, he's not. He's not good with water. He's not very buoyant. If uh, <laughs> Titanic has taught us anything, uh, he's going to sink right to the bottom like a fucking stone. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's get into best director then. Going to kind of be on brand here and say I think George Miller should win it. I think that uh, Inuritu will win it. Hmm. Tell you who should win it. Ryan Coogler. Yes, he should be nominated. I think also you could say for actor. The uh, actor category would be much enlivened if it had featured Michael B. Jordan, who I thought was great in Creed. Mm, and uh, uh, Ice Cube's son, I forget his name, the uh, kid who played Ice Cube in yes. uh, uh, Straight Outta Compton was fantastic. And the guy who played Easy e was also great. I think, I think he'd maybe go for supporting, but yeah, yeah, I have one of those. Basically, if there was a little more melanin 
in the categories. I think it would have been a lot more interesting all round. But also, those were some great performances. Mm, it would um, also be good with a bit more Christopher Maloney in. <laughs> I mean, that's. I mean, I'm pushing that as wordplay, but uh, no. I just want. I just like Christopher Maloney. Look, um, Wet Hot American Summer, first day at camp, is long is long enough to be a movie. <laughs> yeah, stitching together. See, yeah, yeah. It's it's a single story. It's a single narrative. I don't see why you can't put him forward for mm. best supporting actor. It's got Bradley his... Cooper in it. It's therefore Oscar nominatable. <laughs> his his literal transformation over the course of that film, I think, was greater than anyone else's transformation. Mm. Or, well, no, actually, H. John Benjamin's transformation was probably the most startling. From man to can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to pick uh, Inaritu in the most uninspiring choice uh, that I'm allowed. <laughs> like there, I mean, I like some of the other guys. Tom McCarthy, we're big fans of him. Uh, Lenny Abramson's, mm-hmm. uh, I've not seen Room, but his previous films uh, have all been kind of interesting enough. Uh, I mean, Adam McKay's just, that's a batshit crazy nomination right there because The Big Short's okay. Uh, I don't think it's a fucking best director nomination, but there you go. Um, but George Miller, please give him the award. Yeah, Adam McKay's is the one that I feel like you could easily drop out and put Ryan Coogler in. I mean, you could drop Inaritu and I wouldn't be upset, but I can see why he's nominated because he's made this big Oscar Beatty movie. But mm. I think if, if you were to drop anyone, Adam McKay is probably the one who uh, probably didn't try that hard. Yeah. <laughs> probably could have been replaced by Ryan Coogler and I think everyone would be uh, happy with that result. Yeah, I mean, I will say that Inaritu has certainly directed The Revenant. Um, yes. I mean, he's directed the living shit out of The Revenant. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely direction happening. There's a lot of direction happening in that film. It's just whether it means anything ultimately. Yeah, which is, is kind of the problem mm. overall with most of his work. Yeah, say. yeah. I mean, I'm a, little, reason- I'm a little warmer on it than you, but yeah, I, I do agree. I mean, that was the the only reason why Birdman is the only one of his films that I liked, because it had jokes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It acknowledged the existence of joy and mirth. Mm. And gave birth to one of the greatest episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia of recent years. Yes, that was a phenomenal bit of work. And uh, there was nothing, there's nothing in, Reven- in The Revenant as kind of beautifully terrifying as the shot of a blacked up Danny DeVito hiding in the shadows and opening his eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, man. And then, yeah, it should end with Leonardo DiCaprio falling off a stall. Uh, <laughs> that would be absolutely... But again, if, you, if you've not seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, this is going to be meaningless. Uh, but if you have, then, you know, welcome to the club. It's a, it's a great show. Um, you've got ten years of depravity ahead of you. Yeah, yeah, ten years of disgusting disgusting adventures right let's get down to the big kahuna uh best picture an award that has been taken by such great films as grand hotel the biggest show on earth and crash what's gonna you know join that kind of turd gallery this year uh i would be happy with mad max or room both of which i think are are films that are on opposite ends of the scale in terms of scope Mm -hmm. and budget and kind of uh intent but i think are both really interesting and the work and and, uh kind of visionary in in different ways but i feel like it's going to be the revenant and that uh inaritu will you know uh have direct back-to-back best picture winners which i don't think has happened since john ford Mm. uh in the in the 40s so um that would be uh that would be my choice yeah i think the revenant's gonna win it 
Um, looking down the list, um, Bridge of Spies and Brooklyn are the two films that have got a you know decent amount of nominations each, and will probably walk away with Dickel. Yeah, I think Brooklyn. I think may win like adapted screenplay if there's enough Nick Hornby fans in there, and it is a really really well written screenplay. But I I feel like it's one of those ones where it's perhaps. Uh, undervalued for the fact that it's a kind of a very genteel film mm-hmm. um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that it's very good at being kind of this genteel film and, and being kind of very pointedly about kind of the experiences of a young woman but I feel like those are things that don't stand out against you know being ravaged by a bear mm. <laughs> yeah like we've said before everything can be improved by being ravaged by a bear <laughs> um, but yeah I mean I mean, actually, that bear kind of makes you think that that Revenant might might be in for some VFX awards, but yeah, it's probably nothing as impressive as you know X Wing battles and stuff, is it? No, or of um, people on spikes, on people on kind of poles dipping from side to side over speeding at seventy miles an hour through a desert. Yeah, that is pretty gnarly. Yeah, you can take your bear and you can shove it, Leo. Um, in fact, I, I think he shouldn't be given the Oscar unless he was genuinely mauled by a real bear. Yeah, that was the only part he didn't do. Yeah, which is, that's not really full immersion, is it? <laughs> Fucking lightweight. I hear that um, Oscar Isaac slept in his jacket for uh, Star Wars, so... I mean, that's probably a coincidence. He probably just passed out drunk at the end of a day's filming. But um, yeah, that's the kind of uh, commitment I want to see from an actor. I just want to see Oscar Isaac win every award going. Yeah, I think we're going to have to wait for a few more years when he plays, I don't know, someone who loses all of their limbs mm. and writes a play about it. Yeah. And then is set on fire. <laughs> wow, that's dark, Ed. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking of something a little more lighthearted. Maybe he can be... Uh, can he do a Cockney accent? Do you reckon he could uh, do the uh, Dick Van Dyke role in the Mary Poppins reboot? I, I Honestly, I'd love that. That would be the best. And obviously he's already part of the Disney crew. So if they're just going to kind of drop people who have already appeared in one thing into another franchise, then yeah, I think Oscar Isaac for the uh, to play both these chimney sweep and the head of the bank in, in tradition of uh, Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins, then yes, Oscar Isaac gets my vote. Mm. I mean, he can sing, we know that, but he can also dance from Ex Machina. I mean, it's it, his is a little bit more disco flavored, but like I say, we need to update it. Well, we don't know when exactly the Mary Poppins sequel is taking place. It could take place in the seventies. Mm, it could. It could be a Studio Fifty Four, uh, <laughs> just a blizzard of cocaine, and <laughs> yeah. So Mary Poppins is called in, spoonful of sugar, right? Instantly, that's coke, right? She's coking the kids up, chimney sweep, Oscar Isaac. I mean, they don't have chimney sweeps in New York, do they? They're in chimneys. He can penguins be... on heroin. Penguins on heroin. This shit writes itself, Ed. This is amazing. <laughs> anyway, I feel like we've got off the point. They were our Oscar predictions, everyone. I really hope that they come true or not. I mean, I, I'm just in it for bragging rights rather than uh, any kind of... I'm not getting any pleasure out of anything winning. Yeah, I, I would be happy to be proved wrong because I think most of my choices are... This is how cynical I think the Academy are. Mm. And if they if they disprove me and give everything to Room or Mad Max Fury Road, um, then great. But uh, I I I feel like from studying the Oscars over the years that they are they will always choose the less interesting choice. 
But then again, my track record of predicting has been woeful. So I could be completely wrong on all of these. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, mine is similarly not great either. Let's do some recommendations this week. Uh, I've got a recommendation of a film uh, which definitely is uh, awards worthy, but didn't win anything. But I've only just seen it recently, caught up with it. It came out a couple of years ago. It's uh, called The Selfish Giant, a film by Cleo Barnard. We saw her film The Arbor a few years ago, didn't we, Ed? And we very much enjoyed that one, a very uh, unique and distinct piece of work um, and kind of singled her out as a very interesting voice in British cinema. And I've just recently seen The Selfish Giant, uh, a film about kind of two young boys living on the kind of fringes of society in a kind of very deprived area of Bradford who become scrappers, they become scrap men, rag and bone men, uh, having been excluded from school. And uh, what follows is a hugely rewarding, but uh, just painfully, painfully heartbreaking tale uh, of kind of like uh, love and squalor and kind of awfulness and the, the kind of uh, uh, wretchedness of the human condition, but with a glimmer of hope at the end. Um, and if that doesn't mean you want to go and see it, I don't know what will. Uh, yeah, that is a film that I've been meaning to see for a long time and which, like hundreds of films, has just been sitting on my next Netflix queue. So I will endeavour to uh, catch up with that. Mm -hmm. I am going to recommend a film that I watched recently that I have been meaning to watch for a while just because it had shown up on the IMDb Top 250 for years. And uh, I know that that is not a list that necessarily is an arbiter of quality, but... At the same time, I do have a completist part of me that wants to think, you know what, I want to have seen everything on this list. So I watched the Bollywood film Three Idiots, hmm. which is a film that rides very high up in that list. And for good reason. It's fantastic. It is about, it's a film that takes place over two timelines, uh, one in which these uh, three men are trying to track down a guy they went to university with because one of them had made a bet that they would meet up 10 years after graduating to see which one of them is more successful and he wants to rub it in the guy's face the other two because they haven't seen the guy in 10 years and they want to know what happened to him and the other storyline is all about their time at university at a uh, at an engineering college and uh, it is i think it's the first bollywood film i've ever watched in its entirety we used to show bollywood films as special screenings at the showroom and I would dip my head in them. They were always fun, but they were also always four hours long. Mm. So it wasn't the sort of thing where I could skive off work and, and watch them. I could only watch for kind of 10, 15 minutes at a time. Uh, and so this one I think was felt like a, a, a good introduction because it had the stuff that uh, people associate with Bollywood. It had, you know, big lavish music numbers. It had a kind of very bold and brash and broad tone, you know, quite melodramatic at places, really funny in places uh, uh, but it was also just in delivered with incredible charm. The actors are all wonderful. The story goes in surprising places. Some at some point, some quite dark places. And I think it, in general, just has a, a lovely message about you know pursuing your dreams regardless of what other people think. And uh, it, it, it through sheer exuberance, kind of makes you uh, makes you kind of fall in love with these characters and. The last half hour or so is basically just people kind of happy crying whilst leaning on pillars. And I was wanted to join them because I was just so in love with these characters and the world of the film. And the songs from it have been going through my head nonstop for the past week. Uh, and I feel like people should seek it out. It is a wonderful and lovely piece of cinema. Mm, cool, man. Do it up, everybody. That's it for this week. Uh, thanks for listening, as always. 
as usual, you can find us in the usual places, uh, iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio, Player FM, all that good stuff. Uh, we're on Twitter, we are on Facebook, and yeah, please find us, give us a review, get in touch if you've got anything to say about the piracy episode, which is next week. Uh, we've got a lot of good stuff coming in about that. That should be uh, a very interesting discussion. But until then, uh, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. <laughs> <laughs>